Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Freedom Caucus podcast. This is Jody Heiss from Georgia and a the host of this podcast. We welcome you on board. Glad to have you so much. And listen, some of you are probably listening to this podcast for the very first time. We want to welcome you aboard. Thank you so much for joining us. And listen, if you could, take a moment at the end of this episode to rate and review us on SoundCloud or iTunes. We would greatly appreciate that. But we'll, we'll give you a little bit more information on that as we wrap up here. Uh, but let's go ahead and get started. As many of you know, there are a lot of Freedom Caucus members who sit on the Committee on Oversight and Reform. I mean, you've got uh, our chairman, for example, Mark Meadows is on that committee. Jim Jordan, the first chairman of Freedom Caucus, he is the ranking member on that committee. Uh, I'm on there myself. You have folks like Chip Roy, uh, just a host. There are a number of Freedom Caucus members who serve on the Oversight Committee. Uh, I personally am honored on uh, that particular committee to serve as the ranking member of the subcommittee on national security. And just for your point of reference, the ranking member is kind of like the chairman, except it's the minority party. So you have the the majority leader of a committee is called the chairman and the minority leader is called the ranking member. Now, some people look at the oversight committee as a whole, and they would say it's kind of a second-rate committee because it's not one of those committees that you can raise a lot of money with. Uh, for example, there's other committees like Energy and Commerce, like Appropriations, like Ways and Means Committee. Some of these other committees you can get on and you can just raise tons of money. And so a, a lot of people in Congress fight to get on some of those big money-raising type committees. But that's not really the case when it comes to o oversight. But... That being said, oversight is one of the committees that I personally wanted to be on. I was doing everything I could to get on this committee, and the reason for that is because oversight gives us, the members on that committee, the opportunity to try to hold our government accountable, to hold bad actors accountable to you, the American people. Uh, and and th this is also one of the committees that, frankly, can move rather quickly to discuss news of the day. In fact, much of the news of the day is coming out of the Oversight Committee because this is the committee that's dealing with things like waste and fraud, abuse, scandals. All those things that are constantly in the news are the issues that we deal with, and we are trying to hold uh, our government accountable. Now, in the minority, as part of the minority now, we don't have any say-so on what the hearing topics are going to be, but we do have a chance to respond to events when they happen. Uh, for example, uh, just uh, sometime back, Michael Cohen was brought to the Oversight Committee uh, as, in fact, he was the very first witness in Oversight that the majority party, the Democrats, brought to the table. They brought Michael Cohen because they wanted him to say something that would impugn the president. But Michael Cohen was already in trouble. He was on his way to prison because he had already lied to Congress. Well, here's someone who has lied to Congress on his way to prison, but the Democrats bring him to Congress yet again before the Oversight Committee. And as many of you will remember, he did it again. 
he lied to Congress again in spite of the fact that the chairman, Elijah Cummings, uh, he, he promised that he was going to nail Cohen to the cross. Those were his exact words. I'll nail you to the cross if you lie to us. But of course, Cummings did. Now, we all know that there was no Trump-Russia collusion. There was no obstruction, zero. But that did not stop Elijah Cummings, the Democrat Party, from bringing Michael Cohen before the committee to try to get a convicted liar to say something that they could go after the president. Well, y'all, this is just kind of the world that we live in, quite frankly. But as I told you before, Cohen did it again. He lied again. And so far, Chairman Cummings has done nothing to hold Cohen accountable for his actions. And then enters some members of the House Freedom Caucus. And what a difference that has made. And one of those is my good friend, Mark Green. And uh, Mark, first of all, let me just say welcome. I'm going to introduce you a little bit Thanks. more thoroughly, but I can't tell you how thrilled I am <laughs> to have you here. But we had uh, Chairman Cummings unwilling to uh, hold to his word, quite frankly, and to hold Cohen accountable. And then you've got these phenomenal folks on the Freedom Caucus who are part of the Oversight Committee. Jim Jordan, of course, ranking member, Mark Meadows, Mark Green here with me, myself, and a host of others in the Freedom Caucus who are there. And we have tried to force the Democrats to refer Cohen to the Department of Justice because he lied under oath. Unfortunately, as we all know, the Democrats don't want to do that, so they've not cooperated at all. Uh, and yet Cohen, for the second time before Congress, lied, and they, they just, um, the Democrats refused to do anything about it. So they've blocked all our efforts in that regard. And so Mark Green is here to talk a little bit more about that, as well as some other things that we're going to uh, discuss here in a second. Mark is from the 7th District of Tennessee. Before coming to Congress, he had a long, long distinguished career, uh, both in public service on the state level, as well as our U.S. Army. He is a West Point grad. Uh, he served the Army for tw 24 years, both in active duty and in the reserves. He served two tours in Iraq, one in Afghanistan. He has a bronze star. All that is huge. Uh, but during the time, this is the thing that you really want to know. Uh, Mark was part of the mission to capture Saddam Hussein. He actually helped interrogate Hussein for six hours. He has a book about that experience called A Night with Saddam. Just absolutely phenomenal. We're going to hit on this a little bit. Uh, but beyond his incredible military service to our nation, he's a surgeon. He founded an incredibly successful emergency department staffing company. He served in the Tennessee State, uh, State Senate. Uh, he's a proud husband of Camilla. They've got a couple of children. And Mark, I, I just go on and on and on. You are one of the most remarkable men in Congress. Oh, and thank you. It's an honor to have you here on the podcast. Thank you, Jody. I really appreciate that. Very kind of you to say that. Well, it's more than kind. I mean, you are a hero. And I, we are, I want to, I and our listeners have to hear more about some of your your background, but here you are, you're a freshman in Congress, 
you've got a lot of incredible background that has prepared you for this time in your life. But as you come, as you came to Congress here, what are some of the things that perhaps you did not fully anticipate? <laughs> so what were the surprises? What were the surprises? <laughs> I'm sure there were none, but just, <laughs> just guessing. You know, I guess I think the thing that surprises me the most is just how the majority party has been hijacked by um, certain sort of radical progressive elements. You know, you look at um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the whole New Green Deal, and how um, you know they basically have hijacked that party, and and the speaker has just really allowed it to happen. I think that. But probably is one of the greatest shocks. And then, you know, the other thing that really kind of shocks and disappoints me is all these investigations of the president. It's pretty clear, you know, as uh, Senator McConnell said, Leader McConnell said on the floor of the Senate last week, case closed. This is over. You know, the investigation's done. What are we still doing? But there, I mean, there's so much work to be done. And the opportunity cost of tying up these committees, I think right now five committees are investigating the president. That's five committees that aren't doing the work of the people, and they're and and the Democrat leadership is just pushing their anti-Trump agenda and 2020 talking points. And so I'm pretty disappointed in and just the disingenuousness of that and the the lack of service to the American people that that represents. Well, you know, you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, you and I saw that this week where in the oversight committee we were supposed to have a markup and the Democrats canceled. Yep, because they've been so focused <clears throat> on going after the president, that they were not even themselves prepared for a markup hearing. Yeah. The if you hatred look at, for this president is indescribable. It's really unprecedented. And we're entering into a constitutional um, you know, crisis situation where the executive branch and the legislative branch are at odds like they've never been before. Uh, you, you think of the War Powers Act and some of the issues that, that those decisions oftentimes create. This is so far beyond that, you know, compelling testimony and things like that. Um, it, it's very concerning for the future of the country. It really is. And you see, like you know, over in the judiciary, the Democrats holding in contempt someone for keeping the law. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Let's transition a little bit because I think uh, our, our listeners were obviously just blown away with your military background, your history, and in particular, uh, the the part about Saddam Hussein and your involvement there. Let's just hear from you about that experience a little bit. Well, sure. I, I got to be the flight surgeon for the aviation unit that flies our Tier 1 assets. So uh, those units that are considered, you know, Tier 1, there's an Army counterterrorism Tier 1 unit, and then there's a Navy counterterrorism Tier, tier 1 unit. And I was the, the surgeon for the, the aviation unit that, that flew them. So I got to plan the medical missions, the medical side of the missions for many, many, many different missions, looking for WMD, looking for Saddam, um, of course, looking for bin Laden after we captured Saddam. Um, and, you know, I just happened to be there when we caught him uh, and was covering the target the night of the mission. Um, so my job wasn't necessarily to take care of people who were detainees. So when I got back and he was already in our detention facility, I thought, well, heck, I'll just go over and get a glimpse at him. But uh, little did I know when I got over there, the, the commander of the task force would say, hey, Mark, come in and spend this night with him. And I got to spend that first night 
in captivity, the captured king of Babylon in a, in a way, you know. Um, he was talkative, and so I asked questions, and it, it wound up being a six-hour conversation that, that certainly impacted my life in many different ways. How so? Well, I, you know, being able to tell that story has certainly opened some doors. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating. And then, of course, being able to understand what happened and having a, an appreciation for what's going on in the Middle East right now. And not only the history, but the evolution of where we are, you know, looking at how Saudi Arabia is changing significantly under the current crown prince, looking at how Iran is setting up basically a bipolar Middle East. You know, my time in the military gave me the perspective that I have today about those events, and I think it's uh, to my advantage. Um, so, you know, there's that piece. And then, of course, being able to open doors to help troops and soldiers, right? You know, my experience allows me to then go and open doors and make an argument for our veterans and for taking care of our veterans. And and that's been a been a huge plus. So Wow. Well your experience is so broad. I mean, just from the surgical perspective as well. I mean, you come to Congress with a military background with a uh, state legislative background, uh, but as a surgeon, as a doctor, I mean, you come and are able to bring to the table issues as it relates to health care. Um, and yeah, so, and I, you know, so I, what would you say in that regard? Where, uh, you know, you're passionate about this. What, yeah. um, uh, what do we need to hone in on when we're talking the health care debate? Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that I'm a physician, uh, an ER physician. Uh, the flight surgeon thing is actually a little bit of a historical term the military uses. Uh, I wasn't a surgeon, but I was an aviation medicine guy, so I trained in the medical aspects of aviation medicine. Um, and I'm also board certified in uh, emergency medicine. I ran a healthcare company, though, you know, as you mentioned in right. the introduction, and I think I learned as much from delivering care as I did being the provider taking care of a patient clinically. So you've seen both seen sides both of sides it. Of sure. it. Yeah, absolutely. The business side and the, and the clinical practice. And I think probably the biggest issue in healthcare right now is there's no free market. Uh, the third-party payer system has prevented a free market. You know, if the copay is $50 here, $50 there, $50 there, no one shops for price. You know, price has never entered into the equation of the decision that's made. So if that's the case, then no and wonder. why is that? Uh, before you, uh, where, why do we not know how much it's going to cost? Well, each insurer negotiates independently with, its, with those physicians, right? So the price with one insurer may be 200% of Medicare, and the price with the next insurer may be 250% of Medicare. Uh, the price with the next one might be 300% of Medicare. Well, very clearly, the guy who got 300% wants to know about somebody who got 200%, right? So there's uh, price transparency becomes problematic because the price is different with each payer. And it, and it kind of has to be because, you know, there's a significant number of people who don't pay, and then there's a number of people who, you know, are in the government plans, which are significantly below market price. So that requires that the insured patient gets cost shifted to. They're picking up the tab basically for the uninsured. And that that cost shifting has, you know, caused the need for providers to get from the insured patients as much as they possibly can in that negotiation with the payer. 
Wouldn't it work better if it was from a little different perspective where we knew the cost of something, the price of a procedure, and then we work from there? I mean, we know what the speed limit is, and then you know what you're going to pay for every mile sure, of the speed limit if you get a ticket. But, <laughs> but, the, but the center line is the, the, the speed limit itself. What if we knew what it cost to have an appendectomy, you know, and that's just what it's going to cost in this state or in this city or whatever, and then insurance companies go from there. Yeah, they? but you can do that now. I mean, you could call your doctor and say, hey. Um, well, they, I, can, they don't know because of what you said. They, that's that's they, right. They've got a different price for everybody. That's right, but the more people ask, right? If I mean, if patients say, no, I really want to know what your charge is because I'm a cash-paying patient, you know, I have an incentive or I have a $6,000 deductible, so I have an incentive to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the best price. Physicians will have a cash price. They, they will come up with one to get the patients. And most of them would come up with one that's substantially lower because for them, in that case, they wouldn't have a claim to file. They wouldn't have, you know, the, I mean, the, their operating costs would be significantly less. Well, I think that's something our, your, our listeners need to be aware of. The word, yeah. uh, that if they ask up front, you're saying they will get a Oh, absolutely. Price. Just say, what is your cash price here, doctor, for uh, uh, an asthma visit or whatever it is? And if the doctor can't give it, go to another doctor. I mean, okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, let's let's go now. You were on the oversight committee with me and a host of others uh, and w talking, coming into uh, our time with, we were discussing and talking about setting up this whole thing with Michael Cohen, how yeah. he lied to Congress and how Cummins said he's going to nail him to the cross if he lied <laughs> again. And sure enough, he came in right bold face six or seven additional times to yeah. Congress. And, and Chairman Cummins has done nothing. Now, you've been on the forefront of that particular battle, and we're grateful for your leadership Thanks. on that. Tell us your take on it all. Well, you know, obviously the, the people who come before Congress should tell the truth, and it is a federal crime to lie to Congress. So if we have a witness come and provide testimony, and that testimony is false, then that person should be prosecuted for making that false statement. Now, in this particular case, the Democrats want to use his testimony to justify future investigations. In particular, Mr. Cohen, in his testimony before our committee, said that the president had uh, done some uh, you know, illegal stuff with his taxes. And so now they're justifying this uh, you know, attempt to get the president's taxes based on Mr. Cohen's testimony. Well, if we discredit Mr. Cohen and show that he's lied, then that tears away the foundation of their continued investigation of right. the president. Mm -hmm. So what, we, what they can't accept is the fact that the man lied. But the truth of the matter is, is he absolutely lied, and he, and he actually lied about what establishes his credibility. You know, he said, no, I didn't seek a job with the president and thus get uh, jilted and and uh, and now I have a, a, a reason to come in here right, to, to, right. to hurt the president. So he lied about that. But when, it, when we find out that that's absolutely the case, what credibility does any of his other testimony have? And therefore, what justification do the Democrats have to continue these investigations? Well, the, the answer is an absolute zero. But they totally ignored our movement to refer him to, uh, to the Justice Department because it would destroy their continued investigations. And yet, in the same day, they turn around and say, Barr, you know, Attorney General Barr lied, and so he should be prosecuted. Those are the words of the Speaker of the House. I mean, how hypocritical is that? You know, even if he had lied, which we all know, you know, the Attorney General Barr did not lie right. to Congress, 
But it's just, it's the absurdity of the leadership, the senior leadership of the Democrat Party here in the House. Well, it goes back to what we said a while ago. The hatred for the president is pushing them to do things that are absolutely off the wall. And I I believe in the long run, this is going to come back to hurt them. Um, Our time is is, uh, escaping us here. You and I are also uh, on a subcommittee dealing with national security, and we recently had a, a hearing dealing with uh, suicides among our veterans, uh, and you brought up uh, a great point in that, dealing with the spiritual aspect of this whole thing. Sure. What's, um, what do you think the, the big issue is here? Well, I, you know, in my ex- personal experience as a physician, a combat physician, you know, I've, I've dealt with my friends who've come home from combat with the unseen scars of war, those heart pains and soul pains. And it typically uh, revolves around two forms of guilt. They're either guilty because they killed someone and took someone's life and, and, and are feeling guilty about that. Or they're suffering survivor guilt because they had a friend that died and they didn't. And they came home and they think, man, I should have died. And so those two forms of guilt are producing the stress and the trauma that ultimately leads to, unfortunately, in many cases, um, suicide. But what psychiatrists are telling us is that kind of injury that happens in combat or trauma is a moral injury, which is a very specific, so you kind of break your conscience. If you think it's wrong to kill uh, anyone, and you do, and then your conscience is violated, and then you know, you think, oh my gosh, I've got to kill myself. And that's really what goes on in some of these veterans' heads. So, unfortunately, the, 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 the spiritual aspects of people winds up fixing both of those things. So if you believe in a sovereign God who uh, kind of determines the, the expanse of our lifetime, then survivor guilt goes away because God is in charge of when we come into this earth and when we leave. So if you if you are are if your concept is right then in that then then it fixes it and it's the same with the difference between killing and murder. Uh, David, for example, in the Old Testament was uh, a hero when he killed Goliath, but when he had an adulterous affair and killed the husband of the woman he cheated with, God was enraged, uh, and so. When you teach that kind of stuff to someone who is a spiritual person, who believes that there is a God and has that moral injury, it helps heal that moral injury. Yet in the military, they're you know chaining the chaplains up. They're not allowing them to talk. They're not allowing them to address these issues. And for about two-thirds of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, they're, they're spiritual beings. And so this is a spiritual issue, and it needs to be dealt with on a spiritual level. Um, and so my, my sort of emphasis in the testimony was to, to ask the military to start thinking about spiritual resilience for those soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines who are spiritual beings. Now, I don't want to force, we can't force, uh, someone who isn't religious or spiritual to adopt a spiritual solution to these problems. But for those who are, we should be helping them down that pathway that works for them. And the statistics are overwhelming that those who are, when, when you address that problem to those individuals who, who see themselves as religious and spiritual, it helps them. It, it saves their lives. So why we wouldn't do it makes no sense to me. 
No question about it. And I so appreciate you uh, bringing that issue up. You had to leave, but uh, I was able personally to, to follow up on that trail a little bit as well. I heard. And, thank you. And I think that's just a, a great point. And listen, again, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast Thanks, today, Mark. We are honored and thrilled to have you as a member of Congress uh, and honored that you are also a part of the Freedom Caucus. You bring proud to be. a lot to the table. Thank you, brother. Glad to, I'm honored to serve with you. Listen, folks, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Caucus podcast. And listen, in addition to reviewing this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, please consider, consider sharing this episode. I think a lot of folks will want to hear what we've been talking about today. Remember also to follow us on facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and through our Twitter handle at Freedom Caucus. Until next time, this is your host, Jody Heisel, the Freedom Caucus podcast. Have a great day.